0: Good morning. I'd like to welcome those listening on the radio and watching on Facebook Live. I have a few announcements to go through this morning before we get started. The Red Rose on the altar is in honor of John and Joanne Hoagie, who are celebrating 69 years of marriage today. Happy Anniversary. We extend our love and sympathy to the family of Jeffrey Houston, who entered into Christ's care on Thursday, January 6, 2022. He was 54, and the flowers on the altar are from Jeff's celebration of life. congratulations goes out to Andrew and Lauren Hockey on the birth of their son, Henry David, who arrived on Monday, January 10th, and he is the grandson of Bill and Diane Peel, and Ann Hawkey and the late David Hawkey. Congratulations, Grandma. And also, right after the service this morning, we're going to be taking down the Christmas decorations. So anybody that's willing to help, jump on in. It'll take a few minutes. The more hands, the better. The Bible study led by Aaron Rohrball in the Ministry Center today has been canceled. And the annual report for 2021 is available at the entrances and also in the info center. The annual meeting to elect officers and hear reports from the trustees, the treasurer, and the committees to approve the 2022 budget will be held next Sunday, January 23rd, in the sanctuary, after the 9 a.m. service. At this meeting, we'll also discuss and vote on the proposed updates and revisions to the First Church Constitution and bylaws. So there is no Sunday school or confirmation next Sunday. There will be child care available in the ministry center during the meeting. And also one more thing here, a few changes to the bulletin for today's services. Youth Pastor Tori Brennigan is filling in for Pastor Joel this morning. Joel is at home resting for a few days and he'll be back in service on Sunday. And there is a different scripture passage for the morning and one correction in the bulletin. The offering this morning is for the radio fund and not uh, the agape fund as listed in the bulletin. Please rise and join me in the call to worship. Today's call to worship is taken from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. you. Uh-huh.
1: 3, 16 through 18 says,
2: I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts in faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how deep, and how high is the love of Christ. He's a good, good Father. There are times in our lives that we don't see it. But He's never left us. He's there. His love is forever.
3: It's too
0: Thank you. Now I'd like to welcome the children up for Children's Chat.
3: Ah, you might have to help me get up later.
2: <laughs> oh, good. Look at all the people we have. Get close. We're going to read a book today. So I want you to see the photos. Come close. Squeeze in. Squeeze in. you got to be able to see it. Oh, this is so awesome. Cold out? Yeah. All right. How big's God? Big. Well, how big's big? Large? Huge? That's kind of a hard question, isn't it? Well, this is a book that says, How Big Is God? And this little boy asks his mom. He says, Mom, where does God live? Why? He lives in your heart. Where's your heart at? Yeah, okay. His mom replied, the boy thought about that for a while, and he says, um, Well, if God is in my heart, he, he must be very, very tiny. Hmm, how big's your heart? Size of your fist. Size of your fist. With everyone, so we need to be to up Boy, you're way too smart. Yes, you're right. He can be any place, any time, can he? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? He can be inside us, beside us, all around us at any time or at the same time. If he's here with us, Is he out in the neighbor's house too? Yeah. Yeah. He can go anywhere he wants all at the same time. Like superhero. But he's better than any superhero. Yes, he is. Hmm? God could have to fly. He's already there. He's everywhere from the Antarctic to the North Pole, from Argentina to Zimbabwe. didn't say that one right. The boy whispered, but but he's here with us right now. Mother whispered back, yes, he is with us right here, right now. Well, if he's a little tiny seed... He can grow into a great big tree, the tallest tree. Wow. He can do all of that, can't he?
3: Isn't
2: that a dog? Hmm? Got a little dog on there, don't they? He can be as small as a snowflake or as large as a snow covering a mountain. All at the same time. He can be as small as a single drop of rain or as deep as the deepest ocean. Of course, his mother answered and said, and he's even with mean kids. They just haven't realized it yet and they don't see him. So he's with everybody is he invisible Mm, at times but God's everywhere around us if we train our eyes to see him he's like the wind the wind that blows your kite across the field and it's also the wind that blows over the highest mountain peak He can be anywhere all at the same time. He's pretty awesome, isn't he? Yes, he is. Can he be at school? Answer that. Can he be at school? Yes, absolutely. Sometimes that's where you might need him most. Your school friends, at your friend's school, every school, even when you get on the bus, He's with you on the bus, and and when you go out to play on the playground, and even when you're taking tests. But there's a lot of prayers said during that time, aren't there? During tests. He's everywhere at any time. Mm. Can he reach the moon? Yes. You know what? He can hold the whole universe in his hand. That's how big he is. So he can be tiny and really, really big. He can be as tiny as a little piece of sand that gets in your sock. Or he can be the sand that makes a great big beach. He can do all of that. He can be like a little bit of water rubbling through the creek you ever walked in a creek? Take your shoes off and walk in a creek with your parents? Or he might become a mighty ocean, river. He can be all of that. He's enormous, mammoth, grand... You know, I can't even say that word. But he's huge. Just absolutely huge. But eeny, weeny, tiny, too. Yes, you've got it right. Garantula, that's what I wanted to say. The little boy sighed, tired after their long day, learning about God. I'm glad that such a big God can still fit in my heart, Mom. Me, too. Out of all the places that God can fit, His favorite is in your heart. Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that you are a good father and your love endures forever. We don't have to look far for you because you're right here whenever we need you. Let these children know how much you love them and that they love you back. We pray that they
1: learn to learn all about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Carolyn, for that great reminder of how big God is and how much he loves us. This time we are going to collect our morning offering. Our offering goes for the radio fund. And as the deacons come forward to collect the offering, the choir is going to bless us with some music. prayer you may be seated heavenly father we thank you for this morning we thank you for the chance to come in and gather and worship and glorify your name as the body of christ lord god we thank you that you are our good father lord that you are faithful and that you will do what you say you will do we thank you for your constant love and your and guiding us as a good father does and we thank you for your care lord God, we lift up those on the cares and concerns list this morning. You know every situation. You know what is needed in, in uh, that those situations, Lord. And I just pray that you would be with those individuals. Give them comfort, give them encouragement, and work in their lives according to your will. Lord, we also pray for our offering this morning that goes to support the radio ministry. Lord, thank you for blessing us with the radio ministry and the reach that it has to so many people, Lord, and bringing your word to them. God, I pray that you would continue to bless that ministry, Lord, and use it to glorify your name and bring glory to your kingdom. Lord, we invite you into this place this morning as we continue to worship you. And we pray all of these things in the name of your son who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven,
4: As Keith mentioned, the scripture reading for today has changed. I encourage you to open your pew Bibles. We are reading from Ephesians. You can find this scripture passage on page 1177 in the New Testament. We are reading Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God So that you may take a stand against the evil schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should.
1: Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, again for this morning. I thank you for the chance to gather together and to study your word. God, I pray that as we talk about um, spiritual warfare lord and all of the things that you've laid on my heart for your people lord God, I pray that you would be big that you would uh, That you, these would be your words and not mine and that you would be glorified in it all I pray that you would give us ears to hear um, And that you would open our hearts to what you have for us this morning. Amen you know, there's One person that I don't particularly love to hear from on the weekends, and that's Pastor Joel, because usually when you are a youth pastor or you know on pastoral staff, and your senior pastor pops up on your caller ID, it means that your weekend's about to get hijacked (laughs) because you have to fill in for him. And thankfully, this is how amazing the Lord is. So I was at my desk on Tuesday. I had just finished prepping for youth group, and the Lord put it on my heart. He said, "I need you to write a sermon." And I said, okay, what does the sermon need to be on? And he said, it needs to be on spiritual warfare. And I was like, okay, when are we going to do this? And he's like, just write the sermon. I said, okay. A couple days later, Joel calls me and he said, I might need you to fill in. (laughs) And I said, all right, well, I'm ready. Thank you, Jesus, is all I have to say. Made my weekend a little less stressful. Um, But you might not know this about me. I spent the first 10 years of my life living in Georgia. I was born in Augusta, Georgia, And then my family moved to Atlanta when I was four years old. And when my parents were searching for our new house in Atlanta, they wanted to find a neighborhood that was filled with kids. And we hit the jackpot with our neighborhood. It was an amazing place. My sister and I spent every single day in the summer we would come up with. And some of my favorite memories started there. And one of the favorite games that we used to play was Cops and Robbers. And our cul-de-sac crew would get together in the morning and we would split up into teams and we would battle each other for hours, nonstop during the summer, just trying to keep the other team from winning. I was always on the cop side because I like being a good guy. Uh, but how many of you played Cops and Robbers or a variation of that game growing up? Quite a few of us, right? You know, those games all have one common theme, the battle between good and evil. And I think from a really young age, we know that there is good and evil in the world. And we also realize pretty quickly that good and evil are in constant battle with each other. And so as little kids, you, ra- you act out that reality um, with games like Cops and Robbers. But the older you get, you realize the war between good and evil isn't just a game. It's reality. And so today I want to begin a new sermon series with you all. And usually when I preach, the Lord just gives me one topic that can easily be covered in one sermon. But he didn't do that this time. And so I'm going to start a series with you all this morning on the armor of God and spiritual warfare. And I believe that God has laid this series on my heart because his people need to be aware of spiritual warfare and prepared to fight in the battle. So simply put, spiritual warfare is the fight against Satan and his evil schemes. So God and Satan are constantly at war with us, o- over us in the spiritual realm. Satan is doing everything that he can in his power to separate us from God, and God is fighting for us. And now this battle has been going on since the beginning of time, and it will continue to go on until Christ returns and defeats Satan once and for all. But right now we're stuck in this in-between. And as Christ followers, we are called to stand firm and to fight. But unfortunately, <clears throat> we're a little unprepared for that fight. You know, when God started teaching me about spiritual warfare and about the armor of God uh, through various Bible studies and people in my life, I was a little mad, honestly. I was a little upset because nobody had talked about these things from the pulpit. In all the churches that I had been in, nobody had done any series or studies on spiritual warfare and so I felt really unprepared and I remember calling my youth pastor up and saying Brian why didn't we talk about this stuff at youth group and he said well it never really came up I'm like all right cool so I knew I but I never knew that being a Christ follower would require me to be in a battle every single day against the enemy I knew that Satan was my enemy but I didn't realize how much power he was trying to get back and what he was trying to do in the lives of believers and really, the whole church has ignored the reality of spiritual warfare. Christians in biblical times understood this reality. They, were, they knew that they were engaged in a battle against Satan. But sadly, our modern church has pre- tried to pretend that the warfare does not exist. And in fact, when most of us hear the phrase spiritual warfare, we tend to try to write it off or label it maybe as kooky or weird And we've ignored it. We've kept it out of our churches. And because of that, we are not prepared to stand firm and to fight against Satan. Now, you might not want to hear this, but our world is only getting darker and darker. I don't know about you, but the last couple of years have felt like things just keep getting heavier and heavier. And that's only going to continue, unfortunately. And it's going to get harder and harder to be a Christ follower in the world around us. And so God wants us to be prepared. He wants the church to be prepared and armed and aware of the spiritual battle going on every single day. But in order to fight, we have to know who we're fighting against. So Satan is our enemy, right? We all know that. First Peter 5.8 says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So Satan spends his days just prowling around, lurking around, waiting to get at us. And he's just looking for opportunities to distract us, to defeat us, and to devour us. But have you ever wondered how Satan came to be? How did he become this one that just prowls around all day? Well, I think there's two passages that give us just a little bit of insight into how Satan became Satan. And the first is Ezekiel 28:13 through 15. It says, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, turqu- turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. For you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so, for so I ordained you. You are on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness found, was found in you. And also, we see a little bit more about who Satan is in his fall in Isaiah 14 13 through 14. It says, you, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the mount of Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. So there's a couple of things that we learn from these two passages. First is that Satan was a beautiful angel. You know, it's really easy for us to picture Satan as this red horn, angry, uh, surrounded by fire kind of guy. But that Halloween picture of Satan is not actually accurate when we compare it to what Scripture says. Scripture tells us that Satan... It's beautiful that he was adorned with precious and priceless gems And was compared to the beauty found in the garden of eden And lucifer one of satan's names means shining one. So his appearance is attractive. It's charming It's alluring and satan uses his beauty to his advantage Second corinthians 11:14 says that he often disguises himself as an angel of light So he tries to be one of the good guys and, when, and we can see this when Jesus was tempted in the desert in Luke. Satan was trying to convince Jesus everything that he could give him would be good for him. Delicious food after not eating for 40 days. And power and authority, all of those things Satan promised to give him. But he never once said, here's what's going to happen if you bow down and worship me. Because Satan didn't want him to know what horrible things would come if jesus fell into that temptation so satan is was a beautiful angel and he uses that to his advantage it was also powerful satan was a guardian cherubim angel and ezekiel 28 tells us that the guardian cherub angels were part of the inner circle they had the closest access to god and they helped guard god's holiness and so because he had access to the one true god satan saw the power that he had and he wanted it. He wanted to become God, and he allowed pride and envy and wickedness into his heart and and tried to become like God. And obviously, there's only one true God, and God was not having that, and so he kicked him out of heaven along with a third of the other angels. And ever since his fall from glory, as an angel, he's been in constant battle with God and against God. And Satan still wants to be like the one true God. He still wants that power. He still wants to replace God and receive all the glory and honor and praise. But here's the thing that we really need to remember is that Satan will never be God. Satan is not all all powerful like God. He is not everywhere at all times like God is. He may be powerful and that power was given to him in the garden when sin entered the world, but it's limited by God. Satan is on a leash that is firmly held by the Father. And so even though Satan is nothing like God at all, he's still powerful. So we have to know our enemy, and we have to know his tactics. Priscilla Schreier wrote an incredible Bible study on the armor of God. And in that study, she tells us that God in his great mercy and love for us has made it so easy to know different names that Scripture uses for him. So the name Satan means adversary. The enemy is antagonistic to the plans and purposes of God. Devil means slanderous, so Satan seeks to slander and defame the character of God and others. He's going to whisper to us in hopes of slandering God's reputation, which will in turn diminish our confidence in God and cause us to mistrust his direction. Tempter means the one who tempts people for the purpose of enticing them to sin. So Satan wants to mislead your passions and your desires so that you'll seek to fulfill them in ways that God does not want you to. He'll intentionally set personalized traps for you to fall into that are distorted variations of God's gifts for you. Satan's also called the ruler of the world, and that means that his approach is not isolated to individuals. He carefully crafts, proliferates philosophies, doctrines, moral perspectives across entire demographics in order to steer entire societies away from God. He's called the prince of the power of the air, or the prince of darkness, and that means that he doesn't work alone. Ephesians 6:12 tells us that he is the chief leader of the tribe of dark forces who seek to carry out his purposes in the domain of darkness. And he's also called the accuser, which means the one who condemns. He points out and constantly reminds us of our mistakes in order to cripple us. He, doesn't want, he wants you to get discouraged and hopeless and filled with shame so that you never come and turn to Jesus. And finally, he is a liar. He is the father of lies. All Satan can do is lie, and there is no truth in him. And he will seek to lie to you, mislead you, and with, acu- with inaccuracies regarding God, his word, and his plans for you. John 10.10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is Satan's number one goal. And He is the one that we're up against. So it's time for us as believers to armor up and to be prepared to fight in this battle against him And so now that we've kind of had a brief overview of satan and how he attacks It's time to talk about what this battle looks like So ephesians 6:10 through 12 says finally be strong in the lord and in his mighty power Put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul in Ephesians 6 lets us in on this world that we might not be too familiar with, and it's called the spiritual realm. And the spiritual realm is where the battle between God and his army of angels and Satan and the demons happen. And we can see see evidence of the spiritual realm being a real place throughout the Old and New Testament. In Job 1, 6 through 12, God and Satan are talking talking with each other about Job in the spiritual realm. In Daniel 10, verses 13 and 20, good and evil angels struggle struggle and fight with each other in the spiritual realm. And Paul refers to this spiritual realm in five different places in the book of Ephesians alone. So the spiritual realm is a real place. And it's a very real battle takes place there, but we can't see it. We can see evidence of it, but we can't see the the actual battle up there. But everything that occurs in the spiritual realm is directly connected to us in our physical world. And so here's what this looks like. Satan and his forces will use anything and everything to cause you to stumble and fall down in your walk with Jesus. The enemy will use the simplest of things like... dirty dirty laundry or crusty dishes in your sink to spark an argument with you and your spouse just to sow seeds of division in your marriage. Trust me, I've fallen for that one many times, right Jake? But Satan also knows our weaknesses. If you're an alcoholic, Satan will wait until you are in a vulnerable space and place and he'll start tempting you to take a hit from the bottle. And he doesn't force you to take the drink. You do that on your own but he will make it as desirable as possible because he knows that what will happen when you give in to that temptation. Satan also wants to attack the body of Christ, and he will use things to divide the church. In 1 Corinthians, Paul had to call out the church for allowing themselves to be divided over leadership and who was better to follow. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? See, the church of Corinth was rallying around these various leaders and these teachers, and their loyalty to these teachers, as great as they were, was causing pride, and it was leading to division within the body of Christ. And Satan is still seeking to do things like that to us today. I've seen churches be divided completely over things like political beliefs, music style, worship preferences, unforgiveness, and even arguments over preferred Bible translations have divided entire churches. And it's sad and it's kind of pathetic how easily we allow the enemy to divide us. And Paul says that our battle is not between flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authority, authorities, forces of evil, and powers of this dark world. So you know what that means? It means that we are not each other's enemy, church. Please hear me when I say that. You and I are not each other's enemy. We have an enemy, and he is so much bigger than us. And he's coming for all of us. So it's so important that we wake up and we stand up and stand against him, united as believers in Christ. So I realized that talking about spiritual warfare in this battle can be kind of confusing, might make you a little apprehensive. And when God first started teaching me about this stuff, it made me a little nervous. Um, But it's so important that we talk about this and that we're aware of this. Because like it or not, if you are a Christ follower, you are in the battle. It's not like we can sign up and say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but you know, I really don't want anything to do with Satan. It doesn't work that way. We are in the battle. But there's really good news for us. The battle has already been won through Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. He has defeated death. He has defeated sin. He has defeated Satan. And we get to fight from the position knowing that the battle is won. We get to fight from a place of victory. How sweet is that? And we we know the end of the story. We serve the victorious king of kings. And our job is to enforce that victory that Christ has already won. And so Paul encourages the church, keep fighting, keep enforcing that victory by drawing on the strength of the Lord and standing firm in him. He is reminding them of the power that they already have within them as born again believers. As a born again believer, you have Christ living in you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. God himself, the creator of the heavens and earth that made you, lives inside of you if you are a born again believer. Do you know how much power you have? so much power and it's his power that's at work within us. He is our source of power and he is the only one that can give us the strength to stand firm against our enemy. And so we stand firm in Christ in our relationship with him. We need to make sure that we are rooted in that relationship with Christ and allowing him to continue to shape and mold and make us more like him each day. But God has also not left us defenseless. He has given us his heavenly army to fight with, our armor to fight with. And so I'm going to give you a quick rundown of every piece of the armor that we have with the time we have left. But like I said, at the beginning of all this, God has put it on my heart to do a full sermon series with this. So whenever I get the opportunity to preach next, I'll continue on with the armor of God. Um, But Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says, put on the breastplate, Hold on, I lost my spot. Stand firm then with the belt of truthness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. So, Paul was pretty smart. helping the church of ephesus understand the armor of god and he used the pieces of armor that a roman soldier would have put on and worn into battle and so each piece of armor has been specifically created for us to stand firm in christ so the first is the belt of truth roman soldiers would have put on their belt first because their other pieces of the armor hooked into the belt and so not only did they have to put that on first, but it also helped stabilize the armor, stabilize the other pieces of the armor by helping support the weight of those pieces. And so the belt of truth is God's truth, God's truth found in God's word. And it's our commitment to pursuing his truth. And so when we put on the belt of truth, it allows us to stand firm against the lies that, and the schemes of Satan and stand firm in God's truth and who he is and who we are in him. The breastplate of righteousness, righteousness is defined as right standing before God and in right relationship with him. And so we've been brought into right relationship with God through Christ, and we're called to live that relationship out. And so Satan wants to attack that relationship, obviously. And so God's righteousness protects us. It protects our hearts. And putting on the breastplate of righteousness is our commitment to living like Christ and living according to his ways of righteousness. The shoes of peace. As Christ followers, we're called to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. But in order to do that, we have to be equipped with the inner peace that's produced by the gospel of Christ. So the shoes of peace provide mobility and availability to Jesus and to spreading his word and his peace throughout the world through the gospel. And Satan wants us to think that it's pointless to do that. He wants us to think that, oh, it's not the right time to share the gospel with this person, or it's too hard, or I just don't have the right words. But the shoes of peace are a protection against those lies, because it's always a good time to share the gospel, right? The shield of faith is the key to all of the armor, because we have to have faith in order to put the armor on in the first place. So taking up the shield of faith is kind of like writing a check, a blank check to God just filled with trust. Like, I write you this check of trust, God, take with it and do with it as you will. And so the shield of faith keeps us protected from the the enemy's lies that try to tell us that Jesus isn't who he says he is or that he won't do what he says he will do. The helmet of salvation is our protection for our mind. You know, the biggest spiritual battle is usually fought between our two ears. The mind is powerful, and Satan knows that, and he uses it to his advantage. And so when we put on that helmet of salvation, it helps to guard our minds and keeps us focused on Christ and his call in our life. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, is the last piece of the armor. And in an actual life-or-death situation where the early Christians were being imprisoned and murdered by their enemies, isn't it interesting that Paul says that their greatest weapon— Is the word of God. You know, no matter what we face, no matter what attacks come our way, Paul tells us that we can protect ourselves by holding tight to everything that God has said in his word and that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us. Now, that was a really quick rundown of the armor of God. There's a lot more that we could go into, and we'll do that later on, I promise. But if you take a good look at the armor, you can see an aspect of Jesus in every single piece of it. He is our truth, He is our righteousness. He is the prince of peace. He is our faith. Jesus Christ is our salvation and he is the word. So Jesus is our armor. He is the one that has won the victory. He has given us everything that we need to engage in the battle. And, and he gives us the power and the strength to do that as well. Our world is only going to get darker. It's only going to get more chaotic. And Satan's attacks are going to continue and they're going to ramp up. And so it's time for the church to wake up to armor up, and to stand firm in Christ together. So I want to close our time together this morning by reading a prayer written by Dr. David Jeremiah from his book on spiritual warfare. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your warriors are prepared for battle. Today we claim victory over Satan by putting on the whole armor of God. We put on the belt of truth. May we stand firm in the truth of your word so that we will not be a victim to Satan's lies. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. May it guard our hearts from evil so that we will remain pure and holy, protected under the blood of Jesus. We put on the shoes of peace. May we stand firm in the good news of the gospel so that your peace will shine through us and be a light to everyone we encounter. We take up the shield of faith. May we we be ready for Satan's fiery darts of doubt, denial, and deceit so that we will not be vulnerable to spiritual defeat. We put on the helmet of salvation. May you keep our minds focused on you so that Satan will not have a stronghold over our thoughts. And we take up the sword of the Spirit. May the two-edged sword of your word be ready in our hands so that we can expose the tempting words of Satan. By faith, we have put on the whole armor of God. We, your warriors, are prepared to live in spiritual victory today. Amen. In closing, let's stand together and sing hymn number 328, Be Thou My Vision. Thank you. bless you and keep you. May you make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. You may go in peace.